welcome to Head in the Cloud. I'm your host, John Svazik. This is episode four for 2017. On today's episode, we're actually going to have ourselves our first interview. So this is actually going to be quite exciting. I have Loic Simon with me, and he is the author of Scout 2. So from the website, Scout 2 is an open source tool that helps uh, assessing the security posture of AWS environments. Now, in the past two podcast episodes, we were looking at the AWS uh, security benchmark from the Center for Internet Security. So naturally, it just made sense for us to go to that next level and start taking a look at some of the tools that can help you with uh, security posturing. With that, uh, Loic, welcome. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for coming. So, Loic, uh, before we get started, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, um, hi, everybody. Um, so, my name is Loic Simon. Um, I'm a principal security consultant with NCC Group uh, in, uh, in the United States. Um, I've been working with them for about five years, and um, as part of my job there, I've been working a lot around cloud security and secure architectures for systems deployed in the cloud. And in particular, I've been looking um, very closely at how people create um, applications and environments in AWS. So I've been in particular, looking at AWS for between three and four years now. And um, in order to make my job somewhat easier into helping um, our clients understand their security posture in AWS, I've been uh, developing and maintaining uh, the SCAD2 tool um, in order to achieve these results. Awesome. So I've actually used Scout 2. Uh, I remember when I first read about it, it was on, uh, I think it was on the AWS subreddit, actually. I don't know if it was you who posted it or someone else, but I was like... Um, yeah, uh, I did not, I don't think I created the post originally, but somebody, um, I, I think a coworker of mine shared the subreddit link with me and and then I replied to a few of the questions that people had on there. And I think there were a few either um, feature requests or bugs that were uh, mentioned in that subreddit. And uh, I was able to, I think, address most of these. It was pretty cool. Yeah, no, it was, it was interesting because I was doing a vulnerability assessment for our office. And it was just one of the things that I was doing. And... I'm always on the lookout for new and exciting tools. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. So I tried it out. It was it is actually a really, really great tool. I do uh, I do want to thank you for that. It's definitely it helped us uh, identify great. a couple of things that that previous audits had missed. So that was good. So mm, thanks. Uh, That's yeah. pretty nice to hear. <laughs> well, the one thing that I that I loved about it. For, so for those who haven't uh, seen it, I'll provide a link in the notes for the show or as part of the show description for this podcast um, and to the HTML report that gets generated. One of the things that I love about Scout 2 is how simple it is because you essentially have two colors, right? You have red for 
this is really, really bad. This is a danger item. And orange, which is, this is pretty bad. You might want to take a look at it for a warning. And then uh, if everything is white, you're pretty much good to go. So that is, that is uh, that's cool. So why don't we get into a bit about what Scout 2 does uh, at, a, at a more deeper level? Like what, what are some of the things that Scout 2 is going to be looking at? Sure. So basically the way it works is um, I think there's like three or four steps in how the running SCAD tool would work. Um, when you first run the tool, what happens in the background is that um, the tool is going to be making a bunch of API calls to AWS and it's going to download as much configuration as needed to do that automated um, security analysis of your environment. Once it has downloaded this configuration, it does the analysis based on a number of rules that are um, shipped with the tool. Um, the analysis may or may not detect a number of actual gaps. And then once that is all done, it generates an offline report. Um, and that's basically an HTML page that you can load in your browser. And from that point, you don't need internet connectivity anymore to use the tool. You just get to browse the local HTML page and um, look at everything you need. So um, that particular report um, was uh, designed in a like, security-minded way. Um, so the, the idea was that um, I didn't want to have to browse through a lot of um, uh, pages in the AWS console in order to understand what was going on. So um, I only download the configuration that matters from a, a security point of view, and I try to recreate new views for AWS resources uh, that make more sense from a security auditor's point of view. Um, so, um, like for example, a couple of um, cool things that it does that are pretty different is um, there's this concept of summaries um, where um, I create a, a different view than what people are typically used from seeing. So one example is in the EC2 section, there's these um, external attack surface summary that um, gives you a list of all your external, uh, all, all your public IP addresses, along with which ports um, and protocol are open uh, based on the security groups that are attached to the instances that have um, these public IP addresses. So if you wanted to understand what your perimeter is for your virtual infrastructure, you could use that uh, summary um, view, for example, which is a pretty, um, pretty neat way to quickly understand how much you're exposing from a network base. Right. Yeah, that, that one actually was, was really useful. I can say for, for myself, when I first ran the tool, I had actually forgotten about one of my default security groups. And it was flagged as being, well, hey, you know, you've got exposure here. 
And I was like, wait a minute, I thought I cleaned all of these up. Well, it turns out, no, I didn't. And it was nice just having that that summary view uh, to be able to get that that level of detail really quickly. Because you're right, normally if, if I was to do this by hand and I'm going through the AWS console, trying to get to the various pages and, and trying to go through every security group, it's, it's a little intensive and it's easy to lose track of where you were. And and this way it was it, it is it's a very nice uh, uh, summary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, uh, one way it can be very useful too for um, like people that may not be as familiar with AWS security too is um, if you run the tool with no previous knowledge of AWS security. Um, you get all these findings that populate your different dashboards for all the services. And that's, uh, I think, a good way to learn about what type of issues exist in a cloud-based environment and try to uh, get familiar this way, as opposed to going through all the best practices guides um, or trying to look through other type of resources you may find on the internet that may be a, a pretty good way to get a really um, hands-on output of what things look like in your cloud environment. Right. Yeah, we, we spent two episodes going through the CIS framework, or the benchmark, I mean, for AWS, and that thing clocks in at over 150 pages. So it's pretty daunting, especially for someone who knew to either new to the cloud or new to cloud security, uh, especially for Amazon. So having something like Scout 2 give you a much more summary type of view and, and, and getting that sort of, even the primary colors giving you, these are areas of concern you really wanna be paying attention to versus some nice to have things that may or may not be high on the priority list uh, is, is really nice. Right, so again, I am a huge fan of Scout too. So I'll, I'll be gushing as we uh, as we go through this. Okay. So now, obviously, there there's more than just Scout two that's out there. Uh, there's Trusted Advisor and Security Monkey from Netflix as well. So how does Scout two kind of differ from Amazon's Trusted Advisor, for example? So with Trusted Advisor, I think. Um, one of, of the big difference is the offline aspect of things, um, where you, with Scout2, you, you run your report and then you, you get to have a look at it wherever you want. I think you may be able to do some sort of export with Trusted Advisor as well, but um, I think you it, it may result in a PDF, if I remember correctly, from last time I looked at it, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of harder to uh, go through. Um, and the other very big difference, which is probably the major one, is the number of checks that are, are performed. Um, Trusted Advisor is has several sections, and security is one of these sections that Trusted Advisor works on. So you, um, I think another example is uh, cost optimization, for example, mm -hmm. which solely makes sense from an AWS point of, uh, user point of view, but not necessarily from security. And and so if you only look at the number of um, security checks that are performed by trusted advisor, 
Um, I believe there's a, a much smaller set than what CAD2 currently provides. Um, I also believe that when I created first created CAD2, Trusted Advisor was not a thing yet. So um, I kind of had to create my own at the beginning because there, there was a, a lack of such a tool. Right. Cool. So Scout2, obviously, we talked about it's EC2 auditing, but it does a lot more than just audit EC2. What are some of the other uh, checks that uh, Scout2 does? So um, there, there are uh, quite a, a number of checks that are in the IAM scope um, for uh, Whoever is not familiar, IAM stands for Identity and Access Management. And that's a, a very important aspect of security when it comes to cloud environments. So, for example, a few things that uh, would be looking in the IAM world are um, the configuration around the uh, root credentials for your AWS account, whether they are being actively used or not, and whether you have an MFA device whether it's hardware or um, a virtual device that is associated with your uh, root account. It's also going to be looking for all your other IAM users, whether there's MFA devices configured for these or not. Um, so those are really like big concerns when it comes to uh, cloud security, making sure you have MFA configured um, and that it's required for users to enter an MFA code before they actually start using the APIs. Um, a few other checks in IAM, uh, for example, would be more towards uh, best practices. For example, you, um, you're going to be warned if you're using inline policies. The reason for that is that managed policies give you a lot more flexibility in how you manage permissions in AWS. Uh, you also get versioning, which is great. So using inline policies um, is kind of the old way of how to do things. And if you can, now you, you should try to switch everything to managed policies. So um, that, that would be like one of these yellow warnings that you would get, which is hey, you're not exactly following the best practices for AWS. Another thing is going to be looking for your password policy settings. Typically, it's going to check if you have uh, requirement for um, complexity in the user's passwords, whether your length uh, is uh, um, not like minimum one or six characters. And then I think another quite interesting aspect of things is uh, more in-depth type of analysis. So for example, uh, a few of the rules actually parse the IAM policies and they search for ways for a particular user to escalate privileges based on which permission they were initially granted. So typical things that would be looked at, for example, is I am policies that grant uh, a user or a role, either the pass role permission or the assume role permission with um, a star as a resource, meaning any resource. Um, and when somebody can uh, assume any role or pass role, um, they can potentially escalate privileges if they 
have a role that I, that they can pass, um, which has more privileges than what they do. So um, it's been something that uh, I've seen like quite a few times in the past. Um, so I, I wanted to make sure that SCAT2 actually uh, looks into, like automatically looks into the policies and uh, reports this type of uh, issues that require slightly more knowledge in, of IAM than your typical rules and typical best practices. Yeah, and that's one of the ones that, especially if you have a new user who is trolling through the internet and they stumble across a blog article somewhere, they may, IAM policies, if you've ever written one, can be, you need a Rosetta Stone at times to try to understand exactly what's going on, especially if you're, if you're new to, to policy definition. So oftentimes what I know I've been guilty of in the past is looking for how do I do something in particular? Oh, hey, look, someone's posted a policy for me. I'll just copy that. Uh, la di da, you know, usually in a test environment, I'd never do that in production. But having the ability to audit that afterwards and then finding something like this potential privilege, privilege escalation, um, that's for me is actually one of the biggest selling points for Scout 2 because I'm not, a, I'm not aware of very many other tools that'll go to that level looking for that particular um, sort of misconfiguration, for lack of a better term for it. So. Yeah, I'm not aware of any other tool that actually like looks into IAM policies um, either. Right, so there you go. Great differentiator. Yeah. So you, you do ship, so Scout2 does ship with a bunch of default rule sets and it's, it is configurable as well, right? You can add your own custom rules. Right. So, um, you, you can basically specify, uh, different rule sets when, uh, that you want to use for your analysis. So you have the, the default rule set, I've tried to somewhat reach a, uh, a compromise between as um, like as much breadth as possible, without creating too many false positives for like users. So try to find whatever rules apply to everyone, and then those that don't, I create them and leave them on the side, and they can be turned on uh, uh, later on uh, by users. So the the rule set generator is a is also a, a, U, a HTML page that you can just uh, start in your browser, and then you just get to browse through the various services that are supported, and then click to enable or disable which rules you you like or dislike. Um, a few of the rules are parameterized as well. So, um, typically, for example, if you want to require that the password policy is more than um, I don't know, twelve or fourteen characters instead of six or eight. You you could set that parameter in in that web page, and then when you generate the rule set, it's gonna download a new uh, rule set, which is essentially a JSON file, and then you sp use that file um, as a command line argument when you run SCAT, and it's gonna uh, modify the analysis based on that. Um, so yeah, I think there are like two or three different uh, rule sets that ship uh, currently, um, but 
if you don't specify anything, it just uses a default, uh, which tends to be uh, pretty good for a lot of people, uh, at least for a first run. Right. Excellent. Do you have a lot of people submitting uh, any additional rule sets? Um, not really. Um, I, I can definitely remember uh, requests for new uh, rules. Um, and uh, sometimes when it was applying to everyone, they just uh, were automatically enabled into the default rule set. Um, if not, I just um, like commented into like the, the GitHub request and said um, I added the, the, the corresponding rule, but uh, I don't want to enable it by default because uh, many people do not really need that to be enabled and they don't want a warning thrown uh, when that happens. So uh, you can enable it if you want, but it's not, uh, it's not on by default. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. We have a call for action for any any enterprising enterprising listener that would love to. Uh, uh, maybe you've got your own particular check that you like to do that isn't in the default rule set. Right. Get a pull request put together and see what we can do. Right. Let's get this great tool some uh, even better uh, better rules. Yeah. I mean, any feedback. Um, pull requests or even feature requests are really welcome. Uh, try to take care of them as, as fast as I can. Um, it's not always uh, as fast as I wish I, uh, I did it, but uh, I always uh, try to implement whatever rule uh, makes sense for sure. Right. So have you taken a look at the CAS Foundations benchmark at all? In considered, yeah. have you considered adding any of the uh, <laughs> the gigantic list that they have as uh, something to the default rule set? I know there's some overlap with what you already have. I wasn't sure if you were thinking of of a fuller set. Um, so I've been thinking about a fuller set. As a matter of fact, there's um, a rule set for the uh, CIS benchmark version one that ships with Katu but it's not complete. The reason it's not complete is because um, at, time, at the time I created that rule set, I did not have support for uh, CloudWatch. Okay. And, and so all the section three that applies to monitoring and making sure that um, you're monitoring for a particular type of events, um, all that section I could not implement. Um, CloudWatch support is on, like ongoing work uh, in Scout, and as soon as I have that added, I think I should be able to have a, a fuller set for the CIS benchmark. Oh, awesome. I know that sections one, two, and four were still not complete anyway when I worked on it. Hmm. I know that, for example, in version 1.0, it, they required that hardware MFA device were used with the root credentials. And there's actually no way to tell from the APIs whether the MFA device is a virtual MFA device or if it's a hardware device for the root account. For IAM users, you can, but you cannot do that for the root credential. So that was one of the limitations on 
why that particular check in my rule set was not implemented, even though I do check whether MFA is enabled or not in SCAD. That was not a strict matching of their requirement. I had a quick look at version 1.1, and it looks like they just require MFA now for the root credentials. They right. don't specifically mention hardware, so I could definitely like re-enable that check. Um, um, I haven't looked... I'm not too familiar with much more of the differences between version 1.0 and version 1.1, but um, yeah, I think it's a it's a good way to um, to me, to to run um, and make sure that um, you're you're doing thing following the CIS benchmark. So I definitely would like to have a, a rule set that totally matches the specifications. I don't think it's ever going to be part of the default rule set, or at least not all the CIS benchmark will be part of the default rule set. Uh, for the and the main reason for that is that the CS benchmark requires to use CloudWatch for monitoring um, CloudTrail events, essentially. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are not doing that. They're sending their CloudTrail logs to um, some sort of vendor products um, that just does lab, uh, log aggregation and monitoring for all sorts of logs and all, all across their applications, not only for AWS. And so a lot of these requirements for monitoring a particular type of event or activity can be achieved outside of AWS and is achieved outside of AWS for many people. So I don't want to, um, I don't want the default SCAD to run to actually trigger all these findings because that's not happening if people are doing that in a different way. So I, um, I know that the monitoring part will never be part of the default SCAD2 rule set, but um, I'm, I, I would like to definitely add these rules uh, being checked as part of the uh, CH benchmark rule set. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. We don't do uh, CloudWatch. We do CloudWatch for some things, but we do have an external tool where we're doing all our monitoring and everything else as well and alerting and whatnot. So be it a SIM vendor, be it something like um, Splunk or Logly even, or you know, pick your favorite SIM vendor, ArcSite comes to mind. Um, Trustwave has a SIM tool as well. Yeah, it, that would be more difficult to, to track down for sure. So great. So that was kind of the, the main things I wanted to talk about with Scout 2. Um, now just going, obviously you've been in the security game for a while and, and you've had a focus on, on cloud security. What are your thoughts in terms of this, the state of, of security in the cloud is definitely different than a more traditional, uh, say a traditional data center or even an enterprise where you've got essentially all your services in-house so how do you feel what what do you think is is the state of, of cloud security today is it still in its infancy are people taking it more seriously or um so i think people are definitely taking it seriously um but on the other end it's still somewhat in its infancy and I would say mostly because there's a probably a, a lack of 
talent in that um, area, if I may say. Um, what, what's happening is that, or what I've seen mostly is that users of the cloud tend to be um, developers mostly or DevOps people who are really good at making systems in general, applications, um, and the whole stack and make sure that the product works. But their job is to create that product, is not to make sure that this product is secure. Um, and when you start like putting, like asking people to think whether it's secure or not, you're gonna definitely add a, a huge workload on these people, um, which is not necessarily what they were initially supposed to do and what they were trained to do or even asked to do. Like there, there's probably a bigger priority into shipping their product or new feature rather than um, making sure uh, they create a huge test case to make sure everything's secure and there's no application flow or infrastructure design flow. So, um, so it's not really that. Um, so I think the, this lack of talent is mostly because there aren't, I don't think a lot of people have been put in charge of only making sure the AWS or cloud environment is secure per se. And so uh, if you ask them to create a new user that can do X, Y, and D, you may end up with a user that can do a lot more than that just because they didn't have time to, um, as you said, like um, take a, a book or start Googling and figure out exactly how the IAM policy that they're supposed to come up with should look like. They're just going to create a, an overly privileged user. And when that happens, then um, you end up with like, uh, like you potentially create gaps in your environment. So, um, so I think it's somewhat in, in its infancy because um, there's a lack of dedicated people to work on the IAM configuration for cloud users in general. Um, does that make sense? Oh yeah, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah, that's that was actually one of the drivers for this particular podcast. Was I was listening to you know the various other security podcasts, and I'm like, people really are great at the notion of security in the individual organization within. You know, I can go into the server room, I can put up my uh, my firewall appliance, and I can lock everything down, but given this shift towards the cloud, you know, I, I, have seen the same thing. You get the DevOps personnel who are like, I can get your application up on the cloud and you can deploy 50 times a day, but I'm just going to give you root privilege for everything. And as long as we can get it up and running as fast as we can, that's good enough for me. So I was hoping to you know, shed some some light on uh, it's not that bad. You can secure the cloud without necessarily sacrificing that speed. And with tools like Scout Two, you can do those audits. You can you can do the work, get the findings, take a look at the report offline. It doesn't have to be the person who ran the tool in the first place. They can generate the report, hand it off to someone else who's going to be doing that investigation. 
Maybe you've got a developer on staff who's like, hey, what's this IAM stuff and how does it work? Oh, cool. Oh, crap. We've got a whole bunch of red everywhere and going from there. So this is uh, this is great. I mean, it, Scout 2, like I said, so if, if people haven't taken a look at Scout 2, I'll provide a link for that in the... Uh, in the description for this particular podcast um you can find it up it's up on github and uh how can people get in touch with you look um i mean i think my contact information is on github maybe um otherwise uh, it should be on uh, um, my blog which is um loigdev.fr but um written in lead, so it's l01cd3v.fr. Um, and um, but I think there's a link from uh, from the GitHub uh, Scout2 page. So, um, Right. Yeah, I'll provide links as well uh, for everything. And you're on Twitter as well? Yeah, uh, same thing. It's uh, Loic Dev in lead. Um, and I, I, do, I, I do not post too much, but whenever I see a, an interesting um, AWS or cloud security uh, article, I, I tend to, uh, to repost it. Perfect. Yeah, well, you know what? You've got yourself a great tool. You've done, definitely done a great service for uh, the cloud community and cloud security in general. You know, so from myself and I'm sure a number of listeners, you know, thank you. Uh, Thanks. It's uh, it's it's nice to see. It's it's it, it is what it is. You're right. It's still in in its infancy. I know a lot of traditional security vendors are kind of struggling. They're not quite sure how do we fit in in this world of the cloud, where now we can't necessarily sell you this appliance that you can put on a rack somewhere. You don't have a rack, so having having tools like Scout and and others, obviously out there to to help identify potential threats are uh, definitely uh, tools that people should be paying attention to. So hopefully a few more people reach out and at least to offer you thanks for uh, for your work. And uh, yeah. So thank you so much, uh, Loic, for coming on uh, for the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, it was my pleasure. Uh, you're welcome to come back. If you have some new fancy features for Scout 2 that you'd love to let the world know about, uh, by all means, let me know. We'll have you back uh, in a heartbeat for sure. Great. And with that, I want to thank everyone for listening. Again, special thanks to Loic for coming on to talk about Scout 2. If anybody wants to get in touch with myself, uh, I am I'm on Twitter as well, at uh, John's Not Here. And I am on LinkedIn. We have a show page on Facebook, uh, which is Facebook slash My Head in the Cloud. Uh, the website My Head in the dot cloud, because you got to have that dot cloud domain. And what else? So I'm on Peerlist as well. Uh, are you on Peerlist at all, Loic? Uh No, I am not. I do see some of these uh, the the articles show up on LinkedIn every now and then, but um, that's about it. Yeah, it's a, it's almost like this interesting little. I got an invite on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, this seems interesting. It's like it's, uh, Facebook for security people, 
Um, but yeah, you get a lot of basically similar sort of things that you would find on Twitter and a lot of the, uh, some interesting stuff there as well. Uh, so for anybody that's on, on peer list, you know, you can look me up there. Just look for my name, John Sfazek. I'm on LinkedIn as well. I'm on all the things. I'm horrible at posting because like a, like a good geek, I'm an introvert. Uh, even though I have a podcast, which doesn't make any sense, but Hey, it is what it is. Great. With that, thank you, Loic. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. And thanks everyone for listening. Yep. All right, everyone, uh, for the rest of you, uh, take care and have a great week. Thank you.